Welcome to the GUT podcast on the paper, Long-Term Instability of the Intestinal Microbiome is Associated with Metabolic Liver Disease, Low Microbiota Diversity, Diabetes Mellitus, and Impaired Exocrine Pancreatic Function, published in paper copy in GUT in March 2021. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, Digital and Education Editor of GUT and Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool, United Kingdom. And I extend a very warm welcome to Dr. Fabian Frost, who is a Clinical Scientist, Internal Medicine Specialist and Gastroenterologist in Training, working at the Department of Medicine A, University of Medicine, Greidswald, Germany. Dr. Frost is the first author on this excellent paper. Dr. Frost, thank you so much for joining me today to do this podcast, especially at this very difficult time in the world, and congratulations on your excellent paper. Firstly, could I ask you to explain the background to your study and why researching this area is so important? Thank you very much for having me today, Dr. Smith. It's really a privilege um, to be here today. So um, it has almost become general knowledge that our gut harbors trillions of microbes, which is a tremendous number, which are together known as the intestinal microbiome. There are more microbial cells and a lot more microbial genes in every human than we have human cells or human genes. And these microbes together carry out important metabolic functions and they also serve as a colonization barrier which protects us in, against the introduction of pathogenic species. It has become obvious that we really need to consider the intestinal microbiome as an organ such as we do with our liver or kidney as a dysfunctional gut microbiome can lead or contribute to a variety of disorders just to mention gastrointestinal infections or metabolic liver disease as some examples. Therefore we really need to develop a deep understanding of how the gut microbiome works, its characteristics and its circulation before we then can attempt to develop means to manipulate the gut microbiome in a therapeutic attempt. So as a research community, we have already gained a certain level of knowledge about the factors that cumulatively shape the gut microbiome. These data were mostly derived from cross-sectional studies, and they have shown that factors as, for instance, the exocrine pancreatic function, a person's age, sex, BMI, um, diet or genetics are important determinants of the gut microbiota structure. Um, however, the inherent drawback of cross-sectional studies is that they cannot determine whether and how the presence of uh, disease, for instance, subsequently affects the microbiota composition and stability in the future. So this can only be done in large-scale longitudinal studies, which are sufficiently powered to investigate a range of disease-relevant phenotypes. What we have here uh, in Greifswald is the study of health in Pomerania, which is a longitudinal population-based cohort study, which was designed to determine the prevalence of subclinical disorders, clinical disease, and the risk factors. It's a population representative sample, and its participants are re-invited every five years uh, for detailed interviews, collection of biospecimen, and also different kind of ultrasound examinations, among many other investigations. So for the purpose of the present study, we analyzed paired fecal microbiota profiles by 16S RNA gene sequencing of 1,282 individuals. 
um, and the samples were collected at two time points with a five years distance. So we then not only investigated the microbiota changes that occurred in this cohort, but we also looked into the disease relevant phenotypes and how they associate with the magnitude of the changes in the gut microbiome, or as one could say, microbiome stability or instability. Thank you, that's very clear. So um, what are the new findings your study has found? Yes, the results, um, they were really interesting. So first, the overall gut microbiome community structure of the complete cohort was quite stable after the period of five years. And this was not completely unexpected, uh, as we have to keep in mind that our cohort uh, was a population representative sample and not a population of patients with a specific disease. So we did not expect dramatic shifts in the overall gut microbiome structure. However, when we looked at the data in more detail, we found a significant increase in the population of opportunistic pathogens, such as Escherichia, Citrobacter, or other Enterobacteriaceae, um, as well as the corresponding predicted genetic potential for biosynthesis of pro-inflammatory lipopolysaccharides. At the same time, we saw a pattern um, of a reduction of potentially beneficial microbes, such as bifidobacteria. So in general, the larger the changes in the gut microbiota of the participants were over time, the more distinct was the rise in opportunistic pathogens and the associated potential for biosynthesis of pro-inflammatory lipopolysaccharides. We then investigated which disease-relevant phenotype factors were linked to the magnitude of the microbiota changes. And we found that distinct components of the metabolic syndrome, namely diabetes, impaired glucose tolerance, as indicated by HbA1c measurements, and metabolic liver disease, showed the vastest long-term microbiome perturbations. And on the other hand, factors linked to microbiome stability where high initial microbial alpha diversity, female sex, and the preserved exocrine pancreatic function. And of note, other factors such as atherosclerosis, cardiac function, thyroid dysfunction, or renal impairment, and even the participant's age itself were not associated with microbiome instability. And even more interesting, when we looked at those individuals who were diagnosed with um, metabolic liver disease, later on in the study, but we're free of the disease at study entry, we could already see a significant change in the gut microbiome and also their plasma metabolome uh, at the beginning, years before the disease became apparent. And this change was, in the microbiome was also characterized by an increased gut microbial capacity for fatty acid biosynthesis. And this implicates that the contribution of the gut microbiome to uh, fatty liver disease uh, is not only um, restricted to the progression, um, but also to its uh, development in the first place. Thank you again. That's, a, that's extremely interesting and very clear. So your study, how, how might um, its findings impact on clinical practice in the foreseeable future? What we have shown is that metabolic liver disease or diabetes should be considered as microbiome instability disorders. This microbiome instability may also translate into the greater risk of bacterial infections uh, that we see in patients with either diabetes or fatty liver disease. As we have to keep in mind, the gut microbiome is the largest body reservoir for opportunistic pathogens. Therefore, it seems conceivable that we could use a pre or probiotic approach um, to restore the gut microbiome community structure to alleviate the burden of infections 
in the gastrointestinal tract in these patients. Um, moreover, we saw that individuals who developed fatty liver disease later in the study already had significant microbiota changes early on before they developed that disease, which also was characterized by an increased capacity for fatty acid biosynthesis. And there again would also be an opportunity for probiotic therapy as means of prevention. However, um, whether such an approach could be effective can of course only be determined in interventional trials, which uh, will have to be um, conducted. And although we have seen several promising studies using probiotics to treat dysbiosis associated disorders in the past, also at the same time, many other studies fell really short of expectations. And for me, this clearly indicates that as a microbiome research community, we still have not fully understood the gut microbiome physiology. And there may be more complex probiotic formulations needed uh, than those that are currently in use to tackle this issue. Thank you. I mean, that sounds really exciting and interesting. So how might this study impact on research priorities, therefore, uh, in the foreseeable future? In my opinion, uh, future research will have to go into three directions here. So first, in our study, we could show that some diseases like fatty liver disease or diabetes are microbiome instability disorders, whereas others, as, such as cardiovascular disease, are not. However, one limitation of our study was that due to the usage of a population-based cohort, we could only investigate possible microbiome instability patterns of diseases which are frequent enough in the general population. Um, the study was not powered to also include less prevalent disease, for instance, chronic pancreatitis. For these more rare disease, um, we would require disease-specific patient cohorts with a longitudinal follow-up. But to find out whether other conditions also display patterns of microbiome instability or not, um, would help us to direct research um, for the second task, which is to acquire a deeper understanding of the immunologic mechanisms by which microbiome instability is being triggered. The gut microbiome is controlled by our adaptive and innate immune system. This also includes antimicrobial peptides, for instance. However, when and why these systems fail to prevent dysbiosis or microbiome instability is still insufficiently understood. For instance, the role of the exocrine pancreas, which functions frequently impaired in individuals with diabetes or fatty liver disease, also needs uh, further, further consideration, as it is not only an important source of digestive enzymes, but also of antimicrobial peptides, which only have partially been characterized by now. And the question also is whether there is some kind of tipping point, which a tipping point which then suddenly transforms where the gut microbiome suddenly transforms from stable into an instable state, or whether we are rather viewing a continuum of less and more imbalanced states. But to answer these questions, we will require the usage of experimental models um, and mechanistic studies. So finally, um, what we will also have to do is uh, to ask how can we approach microbiome instability therapeutically in order to prevent or treat recurrent gastrointestinal bacterial infections. As already mentioned, uh, this could be achieved by pre probiotics. Uh, however, due to the very mixed results of previous probiotic studies, there still is uh, really a need for basic research to understand how probiotics need to be composed to successfully and persistently manipulate the gut microbiota. So there still is some work ahead 
for us and the microbiome research community to turn our knowledge into benefit for our patients. But the prospect to achieve a significant advance in this field in the near future is high. And this is what really motivates us to carry on with our research. Thank you, uh, Dr. Frost. I mean, it's a very fascinating area and one that's uh, developing all the time. And clearly you're a big part of that. So congratulations. Thank you for doing the podcast today. Again, many congratulations on this fantastic paper being published in GUT. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. If you um, want to read the paper underneath this podcast, there's a link to it. And we hope to um, that you'll join us again for future podcasts in the future. Thank you.